The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects, and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America's Stadium has hosted two Olympic Games, with a third one coming in 2028, two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire, which spells inspire2022.org. Hey, Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Wednesday. We're going to talk with the coach, Coach Harvey Hyde, here today on the Peristyle Podcast. We normally talk on Mondays. It was a holiday weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed your holiday. We had a show with uh, Dan Weber on Tuesday and Keely Yor. And today we're going to welcome the coach back on the show talking everything USC football. We got some announcements from the Pac 12. And USC Athletic Director Mike Bone made a statement as well. So looks like we're inching closer to opening up college football, which would be great. We would love that. So we're going to talk all about that, answer your questions. If you have any questions or comments for us here on the show, best way to do, you can email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the best way to get a hold of us. You could also call or text us, too, if you want to hear your voice on the podcast. Or just send us a text if that's easier for you, 424 424- 254-9141 is the number. Like I said, call, leave a voicemail, try to keep it brief, or just send us a text message and we can get it that way. Also, uh, please, if you're a subscriber on Apple Podcasts or if you have an Apple device, go to the Apple Podcasting app, leave us a five-star rating, positive review. Those are always great. And if you want to ask a question there, we'll make sure it goes right to the top of the show. So please help. That really helps us grow the show. We've been doing this as going into our 13th what we're hoping is going to be the 13th football season and uh, getting those Apple podcast reviews up there uh, is really helpful. So I appreciate that, but subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. And we do appreciate you listening uh, every week. And we do appreciate the coach coming on with us every week. He's on the line right now. Follow him on Twitter at coach Harvey Hyde or his website is harveyhyde.com. Coach, how are you? I am great, buddy. We had a day off on Monday, so we're doing it Wednesday, but we jump back and forth, whatever fits our schedule. But I'm looking forward to it. We've got a lot to talk about, and of course, we want to thank everyone out there that sends in the questions, and you're part of this podcast. And Ryan, you just said it. It looks like we're inching a little bit closer to a football season. We all hope. We all hope, and uh, we are. We're inching there. So the NCAA started the ball rolling, I guess, when they... Uh, said that universities, and I think it started with football and, and basketball, uh, they could that universities could allow in-person, voluntary, uh, on-campus workouts for members of you know the 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 student athletes. Uh, the the NCAA said that could start on June first. Then yesterday, so today's Wednesday, Tuesday, the Pac-12 CEO group met in the morning. And then later on uh, in the day, they came out with their own statement saying that Pac-12 schools would be allowed to have those in-person, uh, on-campus athletic workouts, voluntary workouts, to start on June 15th. So that's the earliest it could start. It's going to be up to the individual campuses, and they have to be, you know, it has to be permissible by whatever the governmental the governmental ent- entities are for wherever that university is located. And I'll read you what uh, Larry Scott said in the statement. He said, the PAC 12 is committed to the well-being of our student athletes and the decision to allow for voluntary workouts subject to determination by each school is guided by the advice of our medical experts and will be supported by the detailed protocols established by our medical advisory committee in context with our campus's own safety guidelines. That's a mouthful. Uh, So he says, as states have either already opened or began to open up access to parks, gyms, 
and other training facilities, student-athletes should have that option at this time to be in what for many will be a much safer environment on campus where they can have access to the best available health, well-being, and training support. And then USC's Mike Bone had, had a statement that really didn't add any kind of details, um, you know, just mentioning that the NCAA ruling and then also the Pac-12's ruling that they're working, you know, really hard to figure out what's going to be safe for everyone. It's a rapidly evolving situation, and they want to move forward responsibly with the utmost care, stuff like that. So it's, they're, they have a project called Project Restart, and they are really uh, are working towards getting that forward. So no real timetable for USC saying, hey, we're going to start June 15th. But the door's opened up now, Coach, for all of that to happen, and, and we'll see where it goes. But what were your overall thoughts on the latest news coming out of uh, the NCAA, the Pac-12, and USC? Well, you know, we were all hoping this would happen. To be completely honest with you, Ryan, I'm surprised it did happen this soon. I, I really am. Uh, they've obviously done their homework, and they feel that it's safe and so on to do this. But, you know, we were probably all thinking the worst, all of us, maybe not having a football season. And uh, we hope they still do have a football season and maybe moving the season to the spring or October, November, whatever. But with this type of indication that they're willing to do these things, that means they've done their homework and they have a plan on how they're going to allow this to all come about. And I think USC will jump aboard as, as the other schools will, will because it's, uh, I think, the best interest of the athlete as far as being able to have the proper nutrition the proper training, uh, be around uh, uh, the trainers or anything as far as if they need or they don't feel well, the whole thing. I just think it brings a lot to every football program as far as in the Pac-12, and and I'm really excited about it because I really didn't anticipate this happening so quickly, and it's happening. So I know they wouldn't do this unless they had a plan, so I'm excited about it. No, I'm excited about it as well, and I know there were – we, we just didn't know. There were some people that were saying there's no way things are going to be played. And then there's other people saying there has to be played. And I just felt like you needed to kind of wait things out. But if you look at the tea leaves, if you the writing on the wall, we, we did see some politicians making these long declarations like nothing's going to happen until next year. And, uh, you know, the L.A. County supervisor, I think it was, was misquoted apparently by the L.A. Times. But the, the talk was closing down for another three months after the first two months were over. And I, I feel like people just kind of had enough of it. And they're like, look, everyone, people want to be safe, but you can't just keep doing this. You know, you got to, you got to do something to start opening things up. And so I feel like that's the direction we're going now. Could something weird happen and everything gets shut down again? I guess that's a possibility, but it seems like they're at least, at least from the states that have opened up so far, coach, I'm not seeing anything where it's and you know where it's just blown up in their face and everything's got to be shut down again. Um, so I'm I'm a little bit more optimistic than I was before. I feel like I've been a little bit more optimistic every week. But these are actual declarations, decisions that have been made by the governing bodies that are putting things back into the university's control, saying, "Hey, you can open up if you want to open up." And I think once you start seeing some universities open up, most of them will. Now, is there going to be a, like a, a few that don't? Maybe. And then it might, maybe they don't have a choice because they'll be in a, gov- you know, a state that the government's not going to let them open up uh, for whatever reason. So I'm curious to see how this plays out. But as a collective, it looks like college football is moving forward. And we're going to see an attempt at the, at the college football season. I was under the impression too, like, yeah, maybe they'll delay it. It seems like that's off the table. Like they don't want to delay it if they don't have to, they want to get things started and they're laying the groundwork for all that to happen this fall. And I agree, uh, Ryan, with what you're saying. And I think there'll be more control and more caution when the athletes are with people that uh, have put them in a very protective type of situation and uh, rather than be somewhere maybe they where they can make contact, work out in a gym, or be somewhere with people who have not been tested or will not uh, be tested or whatever the case might be, I, I think this is the best thing to do. Uh, I know that I know a lot of people say I'd rather have my family with me than out there wondering what they're doing. Well, this is a way of saying that. Uh, the, your family's here. We know what we're doing. 
and uh, we know exactly what we need to do. And I think that's a good way of going about doing it. As long as people follow, not only just the players and athletes, but as long as everybody else out there in our communities are following the same type of guidelines, we're going to win this game. Uh, people call it a war. I don't call it a war. I think it's something that we have to be challenged with to want to be, win. And if you don't want to win, you're going to do some stupid things, and that's going to enhance us all as far as our safety. So, you know, for all of you out there that are listening, follow what the people tell us to do. I mean, I don't tell a doctor what to do when he's going to do surgery on me, and I don't know if he could tell me how to call a football game. But I think that it's important to follow the people that are professionals and don't defy them because, uh, well, I, I need to, I want to do what I want to do, and it's my privilege, and I'll take the consequences and all that. Yeah, you can. You can go play on the freeway, too, if you want. <laughs> but, but, you know, that's something that you choose not to do because of the danger. So consider everyone, and I think this is the best way to consider the players, making sure that you have them all at home and you know what's going on. Yeah, there's, I mean, it's it's it gets frustrating. I hate the the extremes really kind of bother me when the people that are just like, no one should ever leave their house for another year, and then the other people that are like, I don't care about anything. I'm just gonna go outside and do whatever I want. It's like you gotta be you got there's gotta be a reasonable you know middle ground there and and I think the majority of people are but there are definitely people on the outside and the extremes and it's it's tough I don't think if you say if you say the only way we can beat this is nobody leaves their house for a year it's like okay that's just not realistic I mean how many people are gonna be suffering because of all the other reasons outside of the virus but you can't go out there and just spread the virus around like it doesn't exist either so I I feel like you gotta everyone had to feel this out. You had to find that sort of middle ground. What's going to be safe for everyone. What's got the best chance of working and what is going to be the reaction if something does pop up? Like what if one player gets it? Okay. Is the whole team out or does it take 10 players on the team to have it, to, to have the whole team be, you know, to, to be out. And what does happen? Like what if you're in the middle of the season you're in the Pac-12. Say that everything starts as normal and you're in the Pac-12. And for whatever reason, Arizona State, like the whole dang team gets sick. And Herm Edwards, who's an older coach, he gets sick and he's in the hospital. And like they basically have to shut it down. Like what happens? What if the rest of the, the conference is okay? The rest of the country is okay? We might lose teams or, or you know, a, along the way. Or you might lose a decent amount of players for a team along the way. So I... There's, it's so much that is still unknown uh, right now, Coach, but I'm I'm very happy that they're at least moving in the right direction, knowing that if something horrible was you know happening or pending to happen, that that doesn't mean, well, we already started this ball rolling, we're going to have the college football season. It might all get shut down at some point, but I just feel much more optimistic now that you're, you're going about this like a systematic approach, to trying to do the right thing and allowing for the best opportunity for the sport to happen in the fall. I agree with you. And uh, let's be positive about this and, and hope it all works out. And, you know, maybe there won't be the same type of season as far as a lot of people in the stands and so on. But I think it's a, uh, it's got a good chance of having football. And I think we all got to enjoy, if we have football, enjoy what we're able to get. And uh, the kids want to play football. The coaches want to coach football. We want to watch football. So if we all work together, we'll have this opportunity. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're right. I think working together uh, is important in all of this. And I, I like the fact that all the athletic directors have worked together with Larry Scott here in the Pac-12. All of the conference commissioners have, have been communicating. There's a lot of communication going on. Now, is there a driving force behind it that's not really about camaraderie? It's more about that all these universities have a lot to lose if they, you know, the athletic departments won't exist without college football. So that, I guess that would be the one worry coach is if really it's not going to be safe, but it's just so much money that they have no choice, but to do it. Um, I, I don't think that's the case, but I guess that if you're going to be cynical about it, that's what you would say. I would say, and I've said all along, there's going to be a football season because of the financial uh, responsibility of what football brings to the athletic department. And if you don't have a football season, there isn't uh, much uh, that can be done as far as the other sports or salaries or scholarships or anything. 
So it's when you have it. And if you're safe, uh, when you start and you have a plan, you can have a football season. But you got to be able to make sure that everything goes away towards the football season as they're planning. And when they have it, they have it. It just, I feel good. And I'm very surprised it's starting already. And I think that's a positive thing. Yeah, it's, I, I think I'm agreeing with you. I was a little, surpri- little surprised that um, it's going as fast as it has. I thought the Pac-12 might be a little behind the rest. Now, you know, starting June 15th as opposed to June 1st, whatever. I, I think there's just, there's drop-dead dates where you have to have things going by the middle of July. You know, you want that six-week thing before, um, you know, the end of August, beginning of September. And allowing for these on-campus workouts, if all the Pac-12 ends up having those workouts start by the end of June at some point, and you've got a couple weeks to sort of kind of get ready for what could be like a six-week training camp modified in some way, I think you're great. You know, you, there's a chance for everyone to be on the same page. I don't think that's going to be something that complete equity is not going to happen. There's no equity in college football anyway, but it, it, that's going to be very difficult, I think, to achieve. With you know, there's going to be there's programs that had a whole bunch of spring football. There's programs that didn't have any. You know, that's just the way it is. So some teams are going to have extra more practice than others, and maybe the you know the SEC or the Big Ten or someone opens up earlier than the Pac-12. So you get an extra week or two of preparation or something like that. All that stuff could happen too. Um, but I, do, I, I just think the important thing is to get it into the season and get things rolling. And I think you learn a lot. Like we're going to be under a, a different kind of stress, just different kind of uh, you know scenarios that you have to exist in and here in college football. And I think we'll know more by the end. And if, you know, if there's still things going on and there's still issue, you know, cause for concern in 2021, I think you know how to handle it a lot better. So, um, and we'll see in college football, we get to watch what the Bundesliga, you know, what the German soccer league is doing now or South Korean baseball or what the UFC is doing. Now, all those are different, um, but the NFL won't be. And the NFL is going to be a lot more similar to college football. And we get to see what they do and the NBA and, and major league baseball, they're struggling trying to figure out something. So, there's just so much we don't know yet, but I guess I'm encouraged because of the steps we've taken. You know, I think a lot uh, is made about when they start and uh, uh, will they be in shape. Uh, athletes are always in shape. They they work out year-round. They don't have to be watched by everybody. These guys know what it takes to be ready to play. They're very competitive. And if another league starts a week before them, so what? I mean, you can catch up. You can do what you got to do. You got to get ready for, you got to get your team ready to play. And I think that these coaches know and the athletes have been around and they're communicating with them. These guys are ready to play. And I've always said, sometimes kids get too much football. You're around football too much, throwing the football all summer, seeing the same faces. I've said, let them go home. Let them do something different. So there'll be more energy for football. They'll come back wanting to play football more wanting to see their friends more. We miss football. It's the whole same thing. So a lot of negatives turn into a positive, and that's exactly what I'd be selling if I was coaching as far as a football team. Welcome home. Let's get after it. We've all been gone for a while. We're, ready. We're hungry for football. We're hungry to work out. Let's get ready to play. And that's the approach I would take And because uh, I've always felt that the kids get too much football and they never have a time to really be a regular person. Yeah. And you can still be a regular person and a football player and have the responsibility of getting yourself ready for camp. And that's why I look at it. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I think there's like everyone talks about the new normal and what is what is going to be the new normal? What changes? There might be some changes where do you need as much football in the off season? Now, personally, I like all the football in the off season. We get to cover all of that. So for me, it's be- much better for my job that we have a lot of football in the offseason, but you might back off some of that stuff. I mean, just in everyday life, like there, I think things are going to change. Like we might not ever shake hands with random people uh, for years from now. Who knows? I mean, but think little things can change. But you're right, Coach. Maybe that's a change that goes forward. Like, you know what? We don't really need the these winter workouts. Or we don't really need all these seven-on-seven tournaments or whatever. I, I'm not saying that's going to happen, but you might see something like hap- that happen because of 
the impact that this has, you know, this offseason has for on everyone, high school football, college football, and the NFL. I agree with you. And football is going to be just as exciting. You're not going to see anything different. They're going to get out there and play, play hard because they want to win, whether there's a huge crowd or a little crowd or with no crowd. So, you know, a lot of those things people make a big to-do about. And I think sometimes they overplay all these camps and the summers these kids go to and they, they never have any off time. They never get ready for the season and the all-star games they play in and all of the above. So I really think it'll all balance out. And these kids that come back, they miss football. They're ready to go. Their muscles are rested. And, uh, you know, it's good to see everybody. So it, it's not just for one team doing this. Everybody's doing this. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's just look at it as a positive thing and, we're going to love football. You're not going to see any difference in the game. So, you know, there's nothing to talk about. Let's just get ready to play. All right. Well, why don't we take a quick break, and we'll come right back and answer some questions. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, we're back here on the Parastyle Podcast. We want to get some questions. We don't have too many uh, this week. A couple of different topics. Uh, we had two people write in about Keaton Slovis. I think we were talking about some of his stats before, but our buddy Curtis says, Hey, Ryan, I'm sorry for comparing Keaton Slovis to Sam Darnold's statistics. I love Sam Darnold. I would never pick one quarterback over the other. I should have just said that Slovis was uh, the best USC freshman quarterback in the history of the program statistically. No matter what uh, different offense USC has run all for all those years. My apologies to the Peristyle, Curtis from Moreno Valley. And uh, yeah, I think it might have been for the Dan Weber podcast. Curtis had written about that. And to, yeah, to me, Keaton Slovis had a much better system to work with. But statistically, you're right, Curtis. He just blew everyone else away. You know, four different games going over for 400 yards. Uh, crazy. But at this point, I'm still taking Sam Darnold. Um, his stats weren't going to be as good. He was running the, you know, the gumbo offense. Um, but you know, he's in the NFL now start for the New York jets. Keaton Slovis might get there, but at this point, you know, one year of Slovis and what I've seen from Darnold the last, you know, five years, I'm going to take, uh, Darnold, but any thoughts on that coach? Yeah. What did you call the offense? What'd you call it? Gumbo. Gumbo. That's what, uh, actually I think T Martin said that to Dan Weber. Cause it's like a little bit of everything. And that was, that was my biggest problem with it is just no one owned it. There wasn't, you know, people blamed T Martin because he was the offensive coordinator. It wasn't his offense. It was like a little bit of Tyson Helton and Clay Helton and uh, Brian Ellis and, and T Martin. And it just, it just was like this hodgepodge offense where now you have one, you have one dude that runs it. It's Graham Harrell. He comes in and runs the offense. Just even if it wasn't like 
on paper a better offense than what USC ran before because it was just a one singular voice. I think you were going to, it's going to just work better. And it, I think it's a better offense anyway, but it's definitely worked better. Do you remember when I used to call it 31 flavors? Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly what I called it. And I wondered what you got that term too. Now I understand it. So now we can continue. Yeah. Well, I think uh, also a lot of it was left over Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian stuff. So there was like, yeah. So 31 flavors is a great way to describe it. All right. Uh, well, uh, Curtis, thank you for checking with us. And you never have to apologize for anything you do. Okay, buddy? We just like you here in the huddle with us. We do like Curtis in the huddle. Uh, we have a voicemail actually coming up from a little bit too. But uh, Don uh, wrote in and he's... I think this is the opposite view. He said, fake news. Um, when considering, well, he's actually, he was talking about shotgun in this, uh, shotgun was talking about, but he said, when considering Keaton Slovis' stats, how much of those are due to very talented receivers and a game plan to promote quarterback stats? First quarters are good. Then Keaton throws interceptions and fumbles. I think Keaton is fool's gold. Great stats, but not many big, important plays throws. Don, I would disagree with you, Don, on this one. I mean, he started off, turning the ball over a lot more earlier in the year than he did later in the year, which makes sense for a true freshman. I don't think it's an offense to generate quarterback stats either. I think it's an offense to, to officially move the ball. And he's been, you know, really good at doing that. So I, I think you're taking too much away from Keen Slovis, Don, but what do you, what do you think coach? Well, it's definitely an offense that features the quarterback. You can't say anything, but that it, it definitely is around talented receivers and, if a guy catches a pass for one yard and runs 15 yards, he gets the stats for it. So, you know, he, he's going to get a lot of stats when you have talented receivers and you throw the ball as much as they throw the ball. So it all starts with the quarterback in this offense. And, and obviously the quarterback's going to get a lot of stats. Now, I think he's a talented kid and he throws the ball well, but when you have great players surrounding you, it gives you a lot of options. So in this offense, it's basically a pass type of offense with great receivers. And uh, it doesn't always have the, the deep passing game. It has the short game, the middle game. It has all the different games that you play. And the quarterback is basically the guy that touches the ball every single play. And he gets the stats for every single play, unless it's a running uh, play. So obviously he's going to have higher stats than anybody else because that's what it's all centered around. Yeah, I mean, USC's always had really good receivers, though. Like, I mean, when you have you know, Marquise Lee, uh, you know, Robert Woods to Marquise Lee to, you know, Nelson Aguilar or Juju Smith-Schuster, like you were having these duos of NFL receivers on every football team out there. And USC had some good numbers, but nothing that looked like this. This is to me just a much better offensive system. And the fact that a true freshman can run it as good as he, as he has, um, that's just rare. You know, he's just, you know, I, I think JT Daniels is a really talented quarterback. He looked pretty mediocre in the, the gumbo offense the year before. And I think Keaton Slovis would have too, to be fair. So I think a lot of it, I, I don't want to take away from Keaton Slovis, but he's run this system really well. I think JT Daniels would have run it well. It's a, it's friendly to the quarterback. I don't think it's just, it's not something that you're just trying to get quarterback stats. You're going to, like coach said, you're going to get quarterback stats, but I don't think that's a, a gimmick offense that all you want to do is like inflate quarterback numbers. Um, I think you saw some of the Texas Tech stuff, and that was it. They really do want to run the ball more in this offense, and I, I, I feel like they didn't really get that opportunity when you had all the injuries last year, having three running backs down at one time, plus you know your starting quarterback. Uh, that's why I'm curious about this year, what it's going to look like. Will it be more balanced? Um, how slow it's going to look second year in the system? Still got a lot of talented receivers. Uh, they could put up a lot of points in a lot of yards, so... I don't know. But we'll see. It's uh, I I just want it to. I just want college football to happen so bad, coach. So we need to get back and all these things we talk about could happen. We want to see if they will happen. Yeah, and I agree with you. And you know, I keep going back to that same point. To be a great offensive football team, you still got to run the football. And you hear me talk about that all the time. It brings toughness to your team. Makes your defense tougher too because they have to practice against it. It's not a uh, just a throw pass rush type of defense as far as the defensive side of the football and pass block on the offensive side of the football. I think you have to learn to do both very well to be a great football team. Otherwise, we'd see everybody in the country doing the same thing because they are the great quarterbacks in the country. So this does feature the quarterback. It is a passing offense. I'm glad that no one called it what we 
I hate that name called the air raid offense. I like it to be USC's offense, and I think you've got to be able to feature the steps, Malapii, and the toughness that they bring, and the great uh, Carr, the way he had that great junior year. And I mean, you've got to feature these guys. They got to be part of the offense, and your offense got to understand that it is part of the offense, not just something you do once in a while. And, uh, uh, and I, you know, I'm not big on stats. I'm big on winning. Okay. I'm big on the scoreboard. I'm not big on what the stats are. I want to know what the score is. And I think that's what you have to look at as far as how good of a football team you really are. Yeah. All right. Well, the, the next couple questions are, are sort of limp, linked together as well and have to do with UCLA. Um, so UCLA, Dan Guerrero, Announced the retirement last year, I believe it was, and UCLA ended up hiring uh, Martin Jarman uh, from Boston College. He was there for three years. He, I think he was the youngest athletic director in the country when he got hired, but he was also at Ohio State for about eight years, I believe. Um, so there's there's some concern here, Coach, with the Ohio State ties and UCLA's new athletic director. So I'll read you the first question. Uh, so it's looking more and more like the college football season will go forward in the fall. Great development. I'm pleased with the way athletic director Mike Bone is running things, and he definitely shows what a competent and qualified athletic director looks looks like and leads. I'm also looking forward to seeing the football team under Coach Helton's new staff and philosophy, and I believe they will be greatly improved. However, you knew there was a however coming. I woke up the other night in a cold sweat. Oh, boy. After dreaming about this nightmare scenario for USC. Let's say Clay Helton... And the team meet whatever metric Bone has set for them in order for Helton to retain his job. Win the Pac-12 South, win the Pac-12, a certain win-loss record, whatever it is. But across town, Chip Kelly and the team bomb out again, and the new, new UCLA AD decides to make a change. In my nightmare, since the new UCLA athletic director was an assistant AD at Ohio State, he makes a quick call to Urban Meyer and hires him. At this point in my dream, I see the mushroom cloud of nuclear explosion going off in the collective USC fan base and make up and wake up screaming. Even if USC won the Pac-12 and made the college football playoff, if Meyer ended up at UCLA, there would be vocal USC fans losing their collective minds and calling for Bones' head. Am I overreacting? Should I begin stocking up on antidepressant meds? Do you think this could happen? Fight on, John in Oakland. Well, John, uh, go take a shower. <laughs> Everything's going to be all right. I don't think UCLA cares that much about football as far as their hiring and the way they feel. Otherwise, they might have made some moves already. Their athletic director uh, was interviewed by a committee that uh, basically was not athletic, was basically academic. Uh, Nothing against Martin. I think he's a good young man, got a great opportunity. I think Bone was Mike Bone, had more West Coast ties and by being at San Diego State and being in this part of the world uh, gave him a great advance knowledge of what's happening in the Pac-12. Martin probably knows a lot about a lot of people in the Pac-12, but doesn't know West Coast, doesn't know what it's like to compete in cities where you have 10 teams that want your money. A little bit different than what it was at Boston College or Columbus, Ohio or East Lansing, Michigan. I know he's known as a fundraiser, and I think that had a lot to do with his hiring. But it's a lot easier to hire, uh, fundraise at Ohio State when there's one university that really everybody rallies around. And the same thing at Michigan State, there's Michigan. But you have that type of alumni. In Boston College, a, a 40,000-seat stadium, uh, you know, uh, he'll be surprised when he goes to the Rose Bowl and sees maybe 30,000, 35,000 people there uh, instead of if we have football and if you can do that on a normal football year. When you think you'll have 65,000, 70,000 people, I haven't seen that happen. And uh, I think he's got a lot to learn as far as the West Coast, competing in the West Coast. He's young. He's enthusiastic. But the West Coast is different than the East Coast or Columbus or East Lansing or Boston. You can't go farther east than Boston. And uh, it's going to be, a, a, I think, a struggle for him, especially why hasn't UCLA made it more an, of an important part of their athletic program? They win in their Olympic sports and so on. They're trying to turn it around. But I think he's going to have a tough time. He's, uh, they're $35 million in debt. So he's going to have to find a way to come out of debt. And how's he going to do that? So I think he's got a lot of, uh, a lot of things that he's going to have to 
learn how to manage, and he's not going to be out here, I don't think, until I don't know when, July 1st or whatever. Doesn't give him a lot of time. I know he's working on it, but I think he's got a tough job, and I think there may have been people with more UCLA ties that have played at UCLA, been a part of the Pac-12, that possibly could have fit in to the UCLA program uh, a little bit better than Martin. But Martin's good kid, great opportunity for him. They were not afraid to pay him, gave him a six-year contract, $1.2,300,000 up front to put a down payment on a house. So good luck to Martin and the Bruins. But uh, you asked the question, and I answered it. All right. Well, you sort of avoided the Urban Meyer part, but that's okay because we got Jim B., who also had a question along the same lines. So a lot of fans are thinking this way, Coach. You said, hey, guys, you're doing a great job. Keep up the good work. There seems to be a certain crowd at USC who doesn't want to hire Urban Meyer, I guess, for political reasons. If SC doesn't hire him, why wouldn't he go to UCLA and that job will be open soon? He would have the same access to the rich gold mine of recruiting market here in SoCal at UCLA as he would at USC. If they got him, would not UCLA go to the top of the recruiting team rankings right away? With that kind of talent, would they not start challenging for the national championships every year and even win it a few times? And what about the other schools in the Pac-12 who are so near SoCal and have access to that rich SoCal talent market? Are we going to make the same mistake that we made when Pat Hayden was in there? Fight on from Jim B. Well, you know, I was an advocate of hiring Urban Meyer. You know, uh, nothing against uh, Clay Helton, but that was their decision. But he was available. And if they could have gotten him, it was a no-brainer. Okay, it's a no-brainer at USC. UCLA, uh, I don't know if they have the money to get Urban Meyer or if they want Urban Meyer or if they can recruit to UCLA like they could USC. They have a different uh, philosophy there. And sure, they get to play in the Rose Bowl and they've got all of this and that. But uh, I don't think Urban Meyer would be interested in UCLA. I really don't. Uh, He may be, but if he wanted to get back into coaching, I think there's more lucrative and better coaching positions than UCLA. And I'm sorry if you're a Bruin fan out there that I'm saying that, uh, but I really do believe that. Uh, the Trojans would interest any coach in the country, okay? A great tradition. They know exactly what the, you can do there. You can see what's going on there right now. Uh, it's a whole different situation, okay? So that's my feeling. I know if I'm a football coach and I have a choice between UCLA and USC, where am I going? I'm going to USC. Uh, a great... Uh, tradition, the alumni, and everything else. UCLA has a great alumni. I'm a part of the Rose Bowl. I know what's going on. But it's a different vibe. And uh, you've got to have a vibe and a, a feeling of how important it is and everything else. And I just don't get the feeling it's that important at UCLA. Yeah, I I agree with you, Coach. I think that, you know, I get why UCLA fans would, I mean, uh, USC fans would be a little worried. Um, I agree with you. I think it would have been a perfect hire at USC. Still could down the road at some point if it comes to that. Um, it's I, I don't know as much about the new situation at UCLA. I have a hard time picturing that happening only because, well, I mean, there's a bunch of reasons. But one, the hire that UCLA just made, the one a couple of years ago with Chip Kelly, was an outside-of-the-box hire. They were hiring more like what USC would do. Like you're the familiar, like just not – really stretch. They're not really going out of their way to get the best candidate. They're not going out to hire the guy that an SEC school would have hired. They, when they hired Chip Kelly, Florida won him. All those schools wanted him. Uh, I think Auburn wanted to replace, you know, and, and, and bring him in. Um, he was a hot name. He was the one, and they won the sweepstakes for him. And they got booster money to pay for it and all this stuff. They, they made it work. And you got to give them credit for doing that, which is not something UCLA typically did. Well, that's blown up in their face. He's been terrible. He's not recruiting. They haven't won an out-of-conference game yet. And it's probably going to be another struggle bus year. So are you really going to do that again and go out and like go out of your comfort zone and not get the results? Um, now, it's a new athletic director, so maybe they would. But I don't know if they're going to have the support all, you know, across the board. It's not just the athletic director making the call. You have to have across-the-board support to bring in someone like Urban Meyer. And you might get pressure – from the UC regents, all that stuff. Like, it, there might be a lot of pressure to not bring in someone like that, but to have him follow like a Chip Kelly that you went out on a limb for and it 
obviously, if you're hiring Urban Meyer, the Chip Kelly thing blew up in your face, didn't work because he wouldn't have had a successful third year either. I think that's going to make it more difficult. I, I don't know if you you agree, Coach, but them overreaching in the last coaching search might make it so they're not going to do that again in this search. I agree 100%. First of all, they got to figure out a way to get $35 million during the Reds. So, and you got to pay him, what, $10 million a year, $8 million a year? He's not going to work for less than that. And uh, where are you going to get your tenants? Well, you'll sell a lot of, of tickets if you hired him. But what kind of money are you going to make this year in the athletic department? They're going to be further in debt. So, uh, you know, if you're a football coach, you want to go where there's abundance, where you have a Learjet at your leisure time at any time. You can recruit nationally and uh, bring kids on campus. You know, he's not in a position where he wants to fail. He wants to win, and he wants to win in a hurry. Can you win in a hurry at UCLA? I don't know. Are the cupboards bare? Uh, do they really want football at UCLA? I think they want football at UCLA, but are they willing to sacrifice for football at UCLA? I think UCLA is a great university, a great campus, and they've proven in the past that you can win there. The Terry Donahue era and all those great areas, Toledo area and all of that, great eras. Go back to, you know, I can name all those coaches. But that hasn't been there lately, and it hasn't shown us that it's been there lately. And I haven't seen the desire of it wanting to be there lately. So, you know, when I look at these things, I, I sort of wonder, that's a sleeping program. You never read about it. You never hear about it. Uh, you never, you know, you, you don't even know it's in town in, in Southern California. And, and I'm going to tell you, in Southern California, it's a different game now with SoFi and all the great teams that are in Southern California and more teams coming. And it's a competitive type of thing. So, you know, they've sort of gone to sleep there and it's going to take them a while to wake up, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. I think. I don't think you can wake up from the Chip Kelly nightmare and hire Urban Meyer. But though, if you want to get the, you want to dig out of the hole as fast as you possibly can, that's the way you'd want to do it. But I'm not sure that's going to happen. They're uh, not willing to sacrifice. For yeah, him. they're not really to sacrifice yeah. for an Urban Meyer coming in and listening to his demands. Because you yeah. do, you have to make sacrifices, and that was big problem for USC. Is like you people didn't want to give control over. They wanted to have control over everything that was going on. And if you hire a powerful coach. You're exactly doing that. You're handing over control. Now, how do you win? You have a powerful coach in there. And, you know, that doesn't allow, like, it doesn't allow the powers that be to have the control that they would want, uh, like they do right now. So, I don't know. We'll, we'll move on from that. We got one last one uh, from our buddy Curtis. I'll play it for you, coach. Hi, this question is for the coach. Coach Helton's uh, tendencies is what I want to talk about. He likes to platoon. I think that will work with our receivers and running backs. I expect our running backs to go one running back per series and rotate it that way. But I don't know about the rest of the positions. Defense either because Todd Orlando doesn't like to platoon his line and linebackers. So what does the coach think about that? And fourth down decisions. Have you noticed if Clay Helton, what does he do on fourth down? Does he like to go for it? Does he like to kick? Does he, what does he do? And how could he improve on the end game decisions for this year? Curtis from Moreno Valley. Well, Curtis, first of all, I want the best tailback or the best running back on the field. I'm not, for, I'm not a big guy in rotation. I'm a big guy in having my best player that does what I want done on the football field as far as a pass blocker, as far as a rusher, as far as a receiver, the whole package. And if there is one that's better than the other, I want him on the field, just like Utah's tailback and other tailbacks and uh, and uh, and the great tailbacks that have been at Stanford and with the you know McCaffrey and all of those guys. I want them on the field. I don't want to alternate those guys. I want them on the field. Now, if they're all equal, I want to find out who the best guy is. I don't want it to be, oh, I want, he's he's down, his personality. i got to play this guy because he feels bad. Uh, you know, when you get your chance, you get out there and play. Uh, that's my philosophy. Now, if they're all equal, then, yeah, I'll let them play a little bit. But uh, you get used to a guy. You get used to a game. You get a feel in a game where you ran a play or you blocked a guy and you missed a block. Well, the next time you know how he plays, you're able to settle up better or find him in the blitz package or whatever they're doing. And you get a feel. You've seen things three or four times in a row or three or four series in a row. 
where you're able to get the feel of the game better and the way you pass block, the way you run a hole, and how you cut back a guy you said he was he overpursued it and I didn't take advantage of it the last time we ran this play. So I'm big in giving the best guy the opportunity to play as much as he can play because he gets a feel in the game. He gets a feel of what's happening, the rhythm of offense, the rhythm of the offensive line blocking, how they block and how they're setting up blocks and how I can set up next time to block for the line or whoever, the secondary uh, defensive uh, or offensive end blocking a secondary guy. So that's how I feel on the running back. Uh, and I'm not big on, a, you know, rotating the offensive line either because they work together as a team. Receivers, you know, I want my best receivers on the field all the time, working together, timing, talking on the sideline. The next time we go out there, I know I can beat this guy in the corner. Let's set it up. And, and knowing that that guy is going to be in there on the next series, so we just talked about it, let's do it. If you're rotating them all the time, he might, might not be in the game for the next two or three series. And, and the next guy doesn't know what he can do. He's just starting to feel on that defensive back or what he thinks he can do to him or what zones he can break, or whatever. So I'm for playing the same guys, and when guys get the opportunity to get in the game, then it's your turn to make it happen by an injury or whatever, or resting somebody on a big play or whatever. On the defensive side, I don't like, uh, I don't like to make changes there either, uh, unless we're getting tired or we're on the field too long, because you've been able to recognize an offense or a set or that how uh, deep the tailback is. And you notice when the tailback's at a sudden, certain depth, what's happening. Or you look at his eyes, he looks a certain way, and you know when he looks a certain way, what's going to happen. So, you know, I'm for playing the same guys. They know how to rush guys. They say, I can beat this guy to the inside. Last time I didn't beat him, but I can fake the outside and go inside. There's different things you get as far as the feel of the game. Uh, it's hard to, unless you played the game a lot, and Curtis, I'm anticipating, I know you played the game. You know how you get into the game, and you and you know what's going on, and you know the pursuit angles. You know how fast the guy is, so you know what angle to take on him when you're pursuing. You, you learn that, and remember, he cut back on you the last time, so you're not going to let that happen again. And you get a feel of how to tackle him, because how strong he is, and so on. So there's so many different feels you get by playing the game and getting into the rhythm. So I'm not a big guy in a lot of rotations. What about the uh, end game stuff, Coach? Uh, do you feel like Clayton's more of a go for it on fourth down guy? What you know, go for the tie, go for the win kind of thing. What what about some of the end game and critical down stuff? Well, you know, I think uh, he's willing to gamble, especially if the crowd gets into the game and they're not playing well. He gets influenced, I think, a lot sometimes from the crowd. Uh, I think he's he will gamble. I really believe he will. Uh, especially if it's short yardage, and I and I think sometimes it can hurt you as well as help you. I don't know. I can't predict that. I think it's where you are in the field, the game situation. There's certain time uh, you you've got to make this drive. You've got to get points. You're not going to win the football game, so you're going to go for it, even if it's no matter what the yardage is. But you got to get a first down and you got to get a score. So it's hard to say. I think the game dictates whether what you are as far as a gambler or a punting guy or whatever it is. I think the game di dictates that as far as the time on the clock and everything else. So, uh, you know, good head coaches use the clock and know exactly where they are and they know how much time they have left to get the number of points or hold on to the ball or we got to hold the ball because the defense can't stop the offense. So we got to go for it here anyway because if we don't, the offense is going to score on us and we're going to lose anyway. So, you know, you've got to look at the game and, and analyze it that way, and, and then you make your decisions. Yeah. All right, Coach. Well, good stuff. Uh, we have some positive uh, news to discuss, which is always great. We don't only get that all the time. So, uh, good. You know, hopefully things are going in the right direction. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, what comes over the next couple of weeks and see what see what really starts to open up. Some schools are going to start as early as June 1st. So, by the next time we have a school, you know, the next time we have a show, We'll probably be able to talk about some schools being able to start their workouts. And for the Pac-12, it'll be a couple more weeks, but maybe USC starts June 15th, or maybe they wait a little longer. We'll we'll wait and see. We don't know at this point, but the option is there. And I'm I'm uh I'm excited that we at least have some of these options. 
I agree. If I'm going to bet on it, they're going to start June 15th, okay? Yeah. They're excited. The kids want to come back. I know the coaches are excited. The fans are excited. I think everybody's going to start June 15th. Why would I start later if I have an opportunity to start June 15th and I didn't have a spring program? Yeah. I would get after it right away, uh, you know, unless your administrators won't. And you know how administrations are. At UCLA, they might not let them start till September. Yeah. All right, well, that's the Coach Harvey Hyde. Follow I don't up. mean to be a smartass on that, but, you know. Go ahead. Be a smartass all you want, Coach. I don't mind. <laughs> uh, well, hope everyone had a great Memorial Day weekend. I know it's it's Wednesday now, so you should hopefully you recovered. I feel better. It was a, it was a long, long weekend, but we're rolling along now. Um, hope everyone had a good time. We actually, if you get this on Wednesday, if you're listening to it on Wednesday, we're doing a special all across the 24-7 Sports Network, especially at uscfootball.com. It's our free VIP day. So if you want to read any of our VIP content or read the, the post on the Peristyle, which is our premium message board, it's free uh, all day Wednesday. So check that out. And if you do want to sign up, it's 75% off for the next two days. So I believe till Friday. I need to double check for sure. But um, yeah, so this is a crazy deal right now. They're, they're doing quarantine deal type of deal. So free VIP on Wednesday. And if you haven't signed up yet, it's like $2 a month or something for a year. Um, just go check it out. It's great. It's a great deal. 75% off. I don't know why they're doing that. I don't know. I don't think they'll ever do that again, but 75% off is crazy. So make sure you go check that out. Um, that is the coach. I'm Ryan. Thanks for tuning in and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Peristyle podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Sample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.